Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Let's find Luke's Gospel, Chapter 6, and Mark's Gospel, Chapter 4. Luke's Gospel, Chapter 6, Mark's Gospel, Chapter 4. And what we want to do, just be free tonight in Jesus. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. We're going to have liberty, freedom, to minister along these lines of love. Well, actually, we're just going to tie this into the blood covenant. We've been teaching in the evening services on the subject of the blood covenant. Luke 6 and Mark 4. And the reason why we've been teaching along the lines of the blood covenant is because each and every individual believer should be involved in building his own spiritual house. I should say his unshakable spiritual home or house. Because here in Luke chapter 6, begin here at verse 48, he says, The man that hears my sayings and he does them, he's like a man which built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently upon the house, could not shake it. See, it was unshakable. Why? Because it was founded upon a rock. And we said, what was the rock? What's the rock? The blood covenant. See, when you say Jesus, you're saying the truth, but, but you're being too, you know, too broad. When you say Jesus, I mean, you, there's a lot to say. You're saying everything. But we want to be specific. And the reason why we're being specific is so that we can begin to develop. See, the blood covenant is the legal ground upon which redemption is based. People have never approached the Word of God accurately. This is the last will and testament of the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? Has it ever been studied that way? No, just as a history book. But no, this is his last will and testament. We are the beneficiaries of the contract. Amen? And next time you, you read the Bible where it says, ask according to his will, he's talking about his last will and testament. Whatever is written in the will. And you see, we said that this covenant or this agreement has been established after careful, skillful study, planning, by the Father and Jesus to bring the human race into a place of covenant relationship with Himself, sealing that relationship by the blood of Jesus. So consequently, when you talk about solid ground to stand on or to build on, you can't get any more solid than the blood covenant. It locks or fixes God and it locks and fixes man and establishes both the will of God and the will of man. And we've been likening it unto a corporation who is met together with the labor union heads, representatives. They come, they come together for the purpose of negotiating a contract, coming to a place of agreement. When it got to a place of agreement, they signed it and sealed it. It was established. It was set in motion. That's some pretty good solid ground upon which to base your claim, isn't it? Should you have any problems on your job. And it's the same thing with us. We said that this solid ground is the blood covenant and if you know the blood covenant and understand all that is legally and rightfully yours and the benefits of the covenant, it will produce strong faith in the life of the individual believer. It will produce an unshakable house if you build upon that ground. Now, what we want to do is turn over to Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, because we talked somewhat about that, but we also want to bring in to view the law of the new covenant or the law of the blood covenant. See, there was a law to that blood covenant. It's just not all that easy. We've been talking about the legal aspects of redemption. But now we want to start talking about some vital aspects of our redemption. And in Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, we find out that not only is the believer likened unto, by Jesus, a house that's being built upon a solid ground with a solid, secure foundation, but it's also likened unto a plant, such as a tree. 
or as a flower, a fruit-bearing plant. And let's just begin reading at chapter 4, verse 1. We'll read through this, and then we'll begin to elaborate on it. And he began again to teach by the seaside. And there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea, and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables, and said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some thirty, some sixty, and some a hundredfold. And he said unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, they that were about him uh, with the twelve asked of him the parable. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without... All these things are done in parables, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable, and how then will you know all parables? The sower soweth the word. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. Now let's stop just for a minute, and let's evaluate this so far. The believer is likened unto an individual who's digging deep into the earth to find sol a solid formation or a solid ground upon which to lay a secure foundation for his spiritual house. But now in the, on the other side, we see that there's another ingredient that has to be in this solid ground or in the earth. And you'll notice that Jesus now is beginning to locate where the kingdom of God is when he says the kingdom of God is in the heart. The seed is the word. The word is being sown into the heart. The word represents that legal covenant or contract. It is the word or the will of God. We have to understand the word and the will of God to have faith. The blood covenant. But now we also have to understand there's another ingredient inside the heart of the believer that's necessary so the Word, as a seed, can grow and develop to bear fruit. The whole object of, of, of Him giving birth to us is so that we can be fruit-bearing plants. He wants us to be fruit-bearing plants. We need to bear fruit of righteousness. And that fruit, if you stop and really think about it, is the same works Jesus did because He said, "...the works I do shall you do also." And greater works says, I'm going to my Father. We are fruit-bearing branches of the vine. The miracle is produced now through the branch. Of course, it's because of the life of the vine that's being poured into the branch. Well, then he goes on to say, And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness and have no root in themselves. They have no root in themselves. Well, so they endure, but for a time afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the lust of other things, enter and choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word, receive it, and bring forth fruit, some thirty-fold, some sixty, and some a hundredfold. Now, it's obvious we have to have good ground if we're going to bear fruit because we know that the seed of God's Word is incorruptible. We as believers cannot blame the seed for not being productive or for not producing fruit because, you see, we are told in 1 Peter 1.23 that the Word is incorruptible. The seed, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed. Any good farmer knows if the seed is incorruptible, not capable of failure or of decay, then it is going to produce fruit under proper conditions and circumstances. If it has enough water, if it's planted in good ground, if all the nutrition is in that ground, everything that's needed to produce a good, strong, healthy plant, it's going to bear good, a good crop. Well, I want you to notice that it's the heart of the individual believer that he's really emphasizing here, not the seed. The Word, of course, we know is the seed, but it's the heart. 
of the believer, the condition of that heart is going to determine whether or not it produces 30, 60, or 100 fold. It's not the seed. The seed is incorruptible. The seed is the container of divine life. It shall produce no matter what, so long as it is in a good heart. Now, it would do you good to note these three things, because I'm not going to take time to elaborate on this. If you'll check out this parable in all three different Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you'll find out in Matthew 13, 23, that here Jesus said that the good soil is the individual who understands the Word. He understands the Word. That's good soil. He'll produce fruit. In Mark 4, 20, He says... Jesus speaking again, only Mark quoting him, says this individual, he receives the word. In Mark, for, Mark, I'm sorry, in Matthew, he understands the word, but in Mark, he receives the word. And in Luke, it says he keeps or protects the word in his heart with patience. You put those three things together, we have to understand the word. We have to receive the word. We have to protect the word. If someone didn't understand anything about farming and they got a seed didn't know what to do with it, they didn't understand how it worked, it wouldn't do them much good, would it? No, it wouldn't do them any good. But someone taught them how to, to plant it, cultivate the land, protect it, all these things, then it would begin to produce fruit. It's the same thing with the seed of God's Word. We have to understand the operation of God's Word in the heart of the individual believer and how it works. A very quick lesson in faith. We are told that the word of faith is nigh thee. The word of faith is nigh thee in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith that we preach. The word is where? In your mouth and in your heart. And until we begin to understand that there is a confession of our mouth and a confession of our heart, and these two must perfectly harmonize with one another and agree with God's word so that God's word can be protected in a heart to produce, then we won't begin to produce any fruit. We'll be genuinely born again, we'll be saved, but we'll miss out on the operation of God's kingdom, just like those who didn't understand the operation of sowing and, and reaping. And, you know, there are some believers that, that really just don't know. They don't realize or understand that, that the Word is not going to produce automatically overnight. That's why Jesus likened it unto a seed sown to the ground. You don't put a seed into the ground. You may have put your plants in by seed. Maybe put them plants in the ground on Memorial Day. But I guarantee you, you didn't pick any ripe tomatoes yet. If you did, you got a greenhouse somewhere. <laughs> but what I'm saying is it just doesn't happen that fast. It takes time to bear fruit. And it's the same way in your life and my life. In the first psalm, we're he talks about the fact that each individual believer, as he meditates in the Word, will be a tree of righteousness who will produce fruit in his season. Now that tomato will produce, that plant will produce in its season. Until it's ripened. When it's ripened, the harvest time has come. Then you go in and, you know, reap the harvest. And so is the kingdom of God, Jesus said here in, in Mark. Look at verse 26, chapter 4. So is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed into the ground, talking about his heart, and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, then after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle because the harvest has come. When you get to a place in your individual life that you're producing a hundredfold, you're producing, you know, a hundredfold in your life, then it's going to be time for you pretty soon to go on home. I don't know about you, but when I leave this earth, I would like to be producing a hundredfold, wouldn't you? Sure. Sure we would. Spiritual things. We'd love that. But you see, if we don't have the understanding... If we don't know how to receive the word to our hearts, if we don't know how to protect it, protect it from what? Well, you've got to protect that seed from the fowls of the air. They'll come and just, you know, eat them up. You've got to protect it from the thorns and the thistles. You can't let the thorns grow in around that because it'll choke it out. And if it's got shallow soil, the heat of the sun's just going to cause it to die. And so when you're farming, it takes wisdom. It takes water also. And it's the same thing with water of God's Word is the teaching of God's Word. We need proper teaching of God's Word. Too many individuals in the body of Christ, they don't have good enough teaching so that they could sit and grab a hold of these deep truths. So consequently, they just, be, you know, they just become babes in Christ and stay that way throughout all their Christian life. Well, what I want to bring out 
in this passage of Scripture right now is verse 17, really. Have no root in themselves. Notice it's in themselves. They have no root in themselves. In other words, the seed of God's Word cannot take deep root inside them. Why? Well, now we've got to go to Ephesians chapter 3. And we'll find out why. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Paul was praying this prayer, really, by the unction of the Holy Spirit for the church at Ephesus. And really, it's for the entire body of Christ. And as he was praying, he says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in agape love, that you, being rooted and grounded... See, they had no root in themselves. They had no root in themselves. It could not take root. The Word, the seed, began to... But because there wasn't enough of the earth, the depth of the earth, as soon as the afflictions and persecutions came, the sun rose, and then the little plant began to just die, wither away. And this happens with believers. Like I said, they don't get the right balance. They don't, they don't understand how the operation of God's Word is. It is not an overnight thing. It's not a one-year thing. It's not a two-year thing. Brothers and sisters, we might as well face it. This is going to go on until Jesus comes. And we're going to be hearing the same word. I kind of wonder if Jesus came back to the earth today, what would he preach? Sower went out to sow the word. He wouldn't change this Bible. He told us not to change it. You think he'd change it? No. He'd preach the same thing to you and to me. But I want you to notice that the ground you put that foundation on better be solid formation. If you're going to have a secure building. Well, likewise, wherever you plant that seed, it better be in some good, rich soil so the seed or the Word can dwell in your heart richly. And the only way to do that is by understanding what agape love is, divine love. I use the, the terminology, the, the word agape, which is a Greek word from agape, for the purpose of showing us that it's a different type of love than what we're familiar with. I mean, there's a lot that have never been exposed to that kind of love even in the body of Christ. You see, we're used, used to or accustomed to just hearing one type of love or one kind of love. You know, we use in our English language one word. I love this, I love that, I love this, I love that, I love, you know, I love dogs, I love my wife. In the same breath. I love ice cream, you know, I love my daughter. There has to be a difference of love there. I mean, I don't love, you know, you see, I scream as much as I love my wife. It's different. Different kind of love. So this here word agape that's used over here and well, really throughout the New Testament, Jesus came and coined that expression, that new word. He brought us that new word, a different kind of love, a new type of love. Every believer is to be rooted in it. Every believer is to be grounded in it. Well, how important is the root system to a plant? How essential is a root system to the life of a plant? Well, it contains food storage, circulation, aeration, anchorage, moisture. And that's enough just to either make it live or die, isn't it? See, if you get that thing by the roots, it's going to die. You give it a healthy root system, it's going to live. Now, it's important we understand that the life of the vine is love. God is agape. He is divine love. He is life. He is light. He is love. Three words that express to us the essence of God. He is life. He is light. He is love. He is life in essence. For life begins with Him, exists in Him, comes forth from Him. All life has come from God. All manner of life. He is light. That is wisdom. Light stands for illumination. Wisdom. Understanding. Knowledge. It all comes from God. So when we, we talk about light, God is light. Understanding. Wisdom. But then God is love. This is God in expression. 
How does he express himself in the natural world? Well, when Jesus came on the scene and walked on the earth, all you can say about this one, one thing you can say about this man is he is love. He is love in action, love in motion, unto death, to the death of the cross. He loved those around him. Even unto his last breath, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Showing forth his love right into the very end. So you see, Jesus is love. He expressed the Father to us in the earth, and the Father, of course, is love. Well, if the believer is to be rooted and grounded in love, I think we need to know about this love, what this love is, what this love does not do, what this love does do. But before we get into that, look at John 15. John chapter 15, real quick. We need to know all about this agape love, this divine love. We need to have it defined to us. Then we need to meditate it. Then we need to practice it. Walk in the light of it. Be a doer of it. Not a hearer of it. But act out this love. Practice this love. Look at John 15. Look at verse... Well, let's start with verse 1. I am the true vine, and my husband, my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean to the word, which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can you, except you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Now, it's important we understand this. What's the reason you plant a fruit tree? Obviously, to produce fruit. Well, Jesus is the first fruit. He is the vine. But we are branches of the vine. If a branch that is in Him... Is it possible for a branch to be in Him and not produce fruit? Well... Is it possible for a tree to have one branch that does not produce fruit while others are producing fruit? Absolutely. Where does the fault lie? The life in the vine is not going into the branch, although the branch is still connected to the vine. There is something that is stopping or severing that life of the vine from entering into the branch. There's a problem there. Now, of course, we know that if it's not going to produce any fruit, look at verse 6. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. You might go off into your backyard and cut off that limb that's not producing any fruit. Cut it off and just use it for some kindling wood after it's dried up. Well, Jesus is talking about us that are abiding in him. And don't let the word abide there fool you. It just means to remain in Him or to continue in Him. But I want to draw your attention to verse 2. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit. I mean, there's no problem for a branch to bear fruit. All it's got to do is abide in the vine. If it's abiding in the vine, it should automatically produce fruit, correct? But the only way it would stop producing fruit would be if that life in the vine would be hindered somehow from entering into the branch. Well, we are branches that are in the vine. And every branch in me that beareth not fruit. Well, why wouldn't that branch bear fruit? Obviously, the life of the vine is healthy and strong because that is Christ. That's God. That's love. And love never fails. If there's any failure, if there's any bad connection, it's got to be on the part of the branch. If I'm not producing fruit in my life, it's only because I'm not abiding in the vine. And actually, if we want to clarify that, we'll go on and read this a little bit further. You'll find out he's talking about you're not remaining in love. You step out of love, you step into darkness. You step into selfishness, you step out of love, you step into Satan's domain, his kingdom. And the moment we walk out of love, then the moment that life of the vine stops from being poured out into the branch, there's a bad connection. 
What do we need to do? Very simple. Just get back in fellowship with the Father. Very easy. Just get back in and begin to grow and develop. Now, if we don't do that, then, of course, something's going to happen. We're going to develop within inside of us a sense of guilt and condemnation. The branch is going to be more or less out there on its own. Confusion, not knowing what to do, experiencing some, some things that are, make it hard for them to grow up and develop spiritually. Begin to wonder, what am I doing here? When's this going to end? Why doesn't Jesus come? You'll lose the joy of your salvation. You'll thank God that you're saved. But you see, your life won't have the meaning that it should have. The joy will be lost. Oh, it's still there. It's in you. It's inside your heart. But it will not be bubbling up with inside of you. See, it'll be in there, but dormant. Now, see, we don't want that. We want to stay in love. Look at the next verse, verse 7. If you abide in me, and my words abide where? Now, I want you to see something in connection with what we're talking about. Your human spirit has been recreated by God in righteousness and holiness of truth. After God, it's been recreated. So the life of God is being poured out to the branch. The word he's talking about has to abide in you. We found out that the word cannot abide in us and remain in us or continue in us if we have no root. If we have no love. If we're not developing agape love, divine love in our lives, then it's going to be very difficult for the word to take root inside our hearts, inside our spirit. And it's going to be like the farmer that kept sowing his seed and going out the next day and digging it up to find out if it was growing. You do that long enough and you won't have any crops, will you? See, it's the same thing in our own lives. See, if we don't handle the Word properly, brothers and sisters, it can get very dull and very boring. Spiritual things. And you'll lose the spirit of things. The spirit of love. The spirit of prayer. The spirit of intercession. The spirit of faith, which we preach. We're having the same spirit of faith, Paul said. That's why I'm speaking, he said. See, we'll lose the spirit of it. And if you lose the spirit of it, you'll be walking in the flesh. And I'll tell you what, walking in the flesh, you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's like a sounding brass tinkling cymbal. And you just don't know what to do. I like the way one, one brother said it. I just, I just believe I can't play on that anymore and... I can't get any better than that. He said, it's, it's, walking in the flesh is almost like trying to wash your feet with your socks on. Did you get that? That's pretty bad feeling, isn't it? Well, that's, that's the same thing that happens in the realm of the Spirit when you get out of love. You know that everything is open and naked before the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. We know that. He sees our every move, our every action, our every thought, our every deed... And you just walk around feeling ugly. See, that feeling. And boy, you say, I've got to get rid of this thing. How do I get rid of this thing? See, the answer is very simple. You just stop practicing love. Love towards God, love towards yourself, love towards neighbor. Stop, you stop walking in love. And when you stop walking in love, condemnation begins to rise up and take over you. Take you over. Over there in Acts 10.38 talks about Jesus went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. That word oppressed, if you do some Greek study on it, you'll find out that the word oppressed actually means those that were under the lordship of. Jesus went about doing good, healing all those that were under the lordship of the devil. That's what oppression is. You find yourself oppressed. See, so you regress a little bit. You get yourself to a place of regression. And then finally, oppression sets in. What's happening? You're getting under the lordship of the devil, the lordship of Satan. You missed out on the lordship of love. See, when love is not lording it over your heart, condemnation is going to take over a sense of guilt, inferiority, and unrighteousness. And when it takes over your spirit, you're going to be in bondage to the devil. 
That's why Romans 8, 1 says there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And you keep looking in the mirror, you see yourself in that mirror, and all you see is this person walking around who's a tinkling brass and sounding simply. You just you feel like, you know, here I am in the earth, but what's going on next? Let's just go on home to be with Jesus. I've talked to him like that many times. I remember one from another state. Sitting down, we were just talking just about this very same thing. Up in the Youngstown area. And we sat down, and, and this, this, she was just so troubled. So troubled. And you sit, and you try to evaluate this thing. Here's someone who's washed in the blood of Jesus, someone who's born again, someone who's spirit-filled, someone who should be filled with the joy of the Lord. I mean to the point, see, this, this gets very serious, my brothers and sisters, because when you get under the Lordship of Satan... He starts talking to your head like, why don't you just go ahead and leave this world? Then they start talking suicide. See, they start listing to all the negatives. That doesn't sound like abiding in his love, does it? Doesn't sound like abiding in Jesus. You mean to tell me that abiding in Jesus is going to drive someone to suicide? God forbid. No. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. And if that happens in your life, Jesus went on to say, that your joy shall be made full. Do you see that? See, we should keep an open communication with the Father in such a way that we're just walking in His love. We're walking in His joy. We're walking in victory. We're walking in power. We're walking in manifestation. Station of God's Spirit. It's a joy unspeakable. It's full of glory. I mean, it's oozing out of the pores of our skin. Just, just all over saturates us. We're shining lights. You ever see a light shine in the darkness? You can tell it from afar off. Some of these individuals came home from Brother Copeland's convention. They were fluorescent. A glow. They got saturated with the power and presence of God. Just overflowing in it. Amen? And you could tell him coming afar off. Well, then he goes on to say, and he explains to us what abiding in him is. Herein is my Father glorified in verse 8, that you bear much fruit. So shall I be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in. The word continue in is the same word that's used abide throughout the entire chapter. Abide in or continue in, or remain in, or settle down in. See, the believer is to settle down, remain, and abide in love. If you don't know what agape love is, certainly you can't abide in it. You can't walk in it. You have it, but it needs to be developed. See, we've got it inside of us, but it has to be developed. We've got faith, it has to be developed. We've got love, it's got to be developed. Same thing with all the fruit of the Spirit. We can develop it, cultivate but you see, this thing called love is the most important fruit of the recreated human spirit that we have to develop. Why? Because God is love. Well, if you abide in His love or continue in His love, you are continuing in Him or abiding in Him, and then your spirit becomes the perfect soil for God's greenhouse, for the fruit of joy, for the fruit of peace, for the fruit of patience, kindness, joyfulness, meekness, temperance, and faithfulness. See, all the fruit of the Spirit. That's God's greenhouse. That's abiding in His love. Well, in verse 10, He says, If you keep My commandments, you shall abide in My love, even as I have kept My Father's commandments, and abide in His love. See, that's how He tells you to abide in it. Then these things have I spoken unto you, that My joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. If you'll put chapter 14 and chapter 15 and 16 and 17 all together, you'll find out that Jesus in chapter 15 was telling his disciples how to bear the fruit of prayer, miracles, signs and wonders, and that is to abide in my love. If you will walk, live, and dwell, breathe, act, speak, think, talk, love, what is the sign of one who is growing up spiritually? He speaketh the truth in love, growing up into him in all things. Speaketh the word in love. See, that love, first of all, gets a hold of your spirit. It's been imparted to your spirit in a new birth. Then that love overtakes your actions. 
your actions, the way you live your life, conduct. It's, it's manifest in your conduct. You change your lifestyle because you're born again. But then the third thing, the most important thing, the fruit-bearing part, and beloved, if you get a hold of this, it'll change you, revolutionize your life, what you say. See, love is first manifest in your spirit. Then it's manifest in your conduct. Then it's manifest in your words. And when your words are dripping and saturated in love, when love speaks, it's called faith. See, love is the mother of faith. Love spoke and created a world. And that force of love has been imparted to our spirit. And when love speaks, it speaks faith because love is the mother of faith. Faith comes, it's born out of love. And then you have what is called creative power. See, that's why it's so important. The Word must dwell in a heart of love in order to take root in our lives and to be productive, to be powerful. Well, let's go over to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6 and we'll start seeing some facts about love. There are different Greek words for love. Eros is one. It means physical attraction. Most marriages are based on this lower form of love. It's the lowest type of love in the Greek. Eros. Then we have storge. It's another word for love. It means compatibility. We're compatible with one another. We may have the same likes, the same dislikes whatsoever. Then we have the word called phileo in the Greek, which is a type of love, which is natural human love, which is selfish, turns to hatred. It is responsive. It responds to somebody else's actions. When you do something, they respond and do something back. If it's good, they respond good. If it's bad, they respond bad. But that's just the highest type of love natural human man has. The unregenerate man can go no higher than natural human love, which is phileo. See, in the Greek, it's defined. But you and I have not been born of that kind of love. You and I have been born of the divine agape love, which the world does not know about, at least outside of Jesus. Now, here in Galatians chapter 4, Five and verse 6, we are told, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision nor availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which is energized by love. Now this morning I said we major in the minors instead of majoring in the majors. Here we see a truth. Paul writing to this bunch of people, these individuals that were born again, but were getting back very subtly into Judaism, trying to live back under the law, and he tells them, listen, you're in Christ now, and the only thing that matters is faith working by love. Is faith working by love in your life? Well, if your faith is not working by love, you can't please God, because faith pleases God. Without faith, you can't please God. If faith is not working by love in your life, you can't get miracles and prayers answered, because the only way you're going to get answered the prayers is on the basis of faith. Faith in your legal rights and privileges. So Paul says to them, faith working by love is essential and the most important thing. And he's saying it doesn't matter whether you've been a, a Jew or a Greek, whatever you are. The most important thing is faith working by love in your life. See, that's why we can spend all, I mean, we can spend all year talking about love. I mean, just talking about it and talking about it and talking about love until finally it gets a hold of our spirit. Remember something. It is not educating our brain with the Word of God that causes faith to take place and take root in the heart. It is not educating our brain to love that causes the force of love to be the dominating force in our life. It's not that. See, spiritual things do not operate on mental force. Spiritual things operate on spirit force. And this word has got to get into our spirits to renew the mind and to take control over our hearts so that we can speak this word and it becomes creative ability and power. If not... See, some people oppose the walk of faith because they say, you people are selfish. You want to use your faith to get things. Well, my brothers and my sisters, it says right here, faith worketh by love. If you were selfish and you're getting things, you're not getting them from God. Because faith does not work by selfishness. So for those that you've heard that use their faith and got something, they were not operating in selfishness because if they were, they would not, it would, have not, would not have come. Do you see how this works? God established it this way. If you were using your, your faith in a selfish way, you wouldn't get your prayer answered. I could show, that, show you that in James chapter 4. It says, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you might consume it upon your own lust. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss or with a wrong motive, with a heart of selfish, just to consume it upon your lust. And because of it, you can't receive. You can't receive because faith cannot receive. It cannot operate in the realm of love. Here's something i got to say about sickness and disease. 
When it comes to sickness and disease, it's the most difficult area for the believer to act upon his faith. Because whenever sickness attacks or tries to attach itself to your body, the first thing we want to react in is selfishness. Someone have pity on me. Somebody, please feel sorry for me. I don't want to go to work today. You know, I kind of hurt a little bit. You start to get to where you want someone to wait on you hand and foot. That is selfishness. If you're going to be strong in the area of divine healing, you're going to have to learn not to be selfish. And you're not going to be able to afford the luxury of pity. And someone to feel sorry for you. That's just the way it is. Sometimes all you'd want to do when you're standing against an ailment that's coming against your body is to lie back and say, oh, please wait on me, honey, do this or do that, honey. And, you know, it's easy to do that. But did you ever notice when Jesus came and ministered to somebody, he did not feel sorry for them? He had compassion on them. And in his compassion, you know what he said to them? You think about this one. Here's a man that can't walk. He says, stand up right on thy feet. Next time your husband's lying in bed and can't go to work, say, stand up right on thy feet in the name of Jesus. See what he says or does. <laughs> oh, yeah, see, we try to, you know, we think this is, these are fairy tales. They're not fairy tales, brother. The guy couldn't walk. The guy never walked. How would you like this one? Peter and John going to the temple about the hour of prayer at the ninth hour. He sees a man laying in his mother's womb. Never walked. Never walked. Did he have sorrow? Was he sorrowful for him? Did he have pity on him? Dear Lord took him by the hand and flipped him up in the air and says, Walk in the name of Jesus, such as I have given thee. In Jesus' name, rise up and walk. Boy, I'll tell you what. Sounds like some bold faith to me. Because he knew if you keep somebody in a realm of selfishness, you see, they're more concerned about themselves and they're, self, they're sorrowful. And they're, it may be a legitimate thing. See, you're not, you don't have a hard heart, okay? You've got to see this. It's just the opposite of what people think. You have a heart of compassion. You want them healed, but you know that if you baby them, what's going to happen? They're going to stay in that thing. I know some don't want to come out of it because they like the pampering. And that's just the way it is. But bless God, if you want to walk in the area of divine health and healing, we're going to have to act on this word contrary to our physical senses. What our feelings say. So if we want to walk in in health and healing, we've got to disregard them in the sense that we don't look to them, but we look to Jesus, look to the Word. And the Word says, what well, describes we were healed. So now how are we going to act on that? Well, I'll tell you what, Jesus did some wild things back there. He really did. If you really start to analyze some of the things Jesus did, you'd say, man, I'm following this guy. I mean, this guy, someone came to him who was deaf, dumb, and blind. He spit on him. Touched his tongue with the spit. Would you think your preacher was a little bit loose if he did that? Or a preacher today would be criticized for that. And he better be led by the Spirit if he does it. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, you believe in Jesus? Jesus did it. He said, the works I do shall you do also. Didn't he? But see, he so walked in the realm of the Spirit, he so walked in the realm of love, he knew exactly what the Spirit was saying to him to do in each case. In one case, he just spit on the ground. In one case, he was in one city, he took the guy out of the city and said, come on down here, I'm not going to heal you here, I'm going to go down there, out of the city. Being led by the Spirit. See? And so the things he did, I guarantee you, they did not promote self-pity and sorrow. But compassion was used. Jesus had compassion on the multitudes. Came out of His Spirit. See, compassion is born of love. And that compassion that rose out of Him caused Him to speak faith words. Eyes up! Take up thy bed and walk. Well, let's look at some facts about love. In John's Gospel, chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, the believer is commanded to walk in love. He's not asked to. He gets the privilege or the right to. When you start, start talking about walking in love, brothers and sisters, you're talking about walking with God. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 16, He that dwelleth in love dwelleth in who? 
See, we, we, we thought this was some kind of fairy tale. We thought that it was, you know, you're walking in God, you're walking in this mystical cloud. Like a puff of smoke. I am walking in God. See? That's not what it's all about. God reproducing himself in the life of the believer is reproducing love in the life of the believer. Every time you have a major victory of love in your life and you overcome selfishness in any part of your life, whether it's being having self-pity, whatever it is, whatever the victory is over selfishness in your life, that means more of God has taken hold of you and less of self. He must increase, I must decrease. I get love manifest in myself, I get God manifest in me, I decrease in selfishness. He's increasing, I am decreasing. That's what this walk is all about, walking in love. And the believer is commanded, this is my commandment that you love one another. That's, again, agape. Agape love is aggressive love. It is unconditional love. It doesn't give us any excuse not to love. We have no excuse. We can't say we don't have this kind of love because Romans 5.5 5 is another fact. Romans 5.5 5 tells us that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts that believe by the Holy Ghost. So you see, we have no excuses. The love of God has been already shed abroad in our hearts. Now the question is, what have we done with this love? Are we cultivating it? Are we developing it? Are we walking in it? Or are we busy studying the book of Isaiah? Or Obadiah? Or Jeremiah? Nothing wrong with those books, don't get me wrong. But when you study the subject of love, you study the subject of God. And in Christ Jesus, we are in Christ Jesus. The most important thing is faith working by love. Every believer should be feeding their human spirit faith and love every day. Love and faith every day. I mean, you keep feeding that inside your spirit and it will rise up within you. You isolate yourself and separate yourself under faith and love. It will get a hold of you in such a way that it will spring up and rise up in you as a plant, just like a plant, maybe the, maybe the leaf at first. But it'll take hold of you, and then once it starts to develop inside of you, and just gets, it'll get to where it wants to explode, just, just, just flow out of you. But if we're just those that are just going around here to there and all the different, you know, books of the Bible, and just, just set up a routine that all we do, we're going to be a so-so Christian when it comes to faith and love. We are to major in love. Every believer is to major in love. That's why he came, was to put love in our hearts, put us in right relationship with him. And he said, continue and abide in my love or walk in my love. Be therefore imitators of God and walk in love. That is the conduct of the believer. When I walk in love, God's manifesting himself through me in my life. So on one hand, you have the most powerful force, love. On the other hand, you have the most powerful force in the, in the realm of darkness, selfishness. That's a choice. I could choose to walk in love. I could choose to walk in selfishness. I can choose to gratify my senses, which is selfishness. I can choose to walk in the Spirit and walk in God's love. Giving of things that belong to you, that have a hold of you, is part of practicing love. Giving yourself to do things like in prayer for people is practicing love. Another thing to know about love is we're told to love our enemies. I mentioned this this morning. When someone does evil to you and curses you, you are told in God's Word to speak how? Well of them, to bless them. That's, look at Matthew 5, 44. See, we have no excuse when the knowledge comes. Jesus in His Sermon on the Mount now remember, a foundation is built upon doing the sayings of Jesus. And Jesus said in verse 44, I say unto you, love your enemies. Come on now, Lord. You said love one another. Didn't you say love one another? You commanded us to love one another as he loved us? Yes. Now you mean to tell me, Lord, you're you want me to go and love my enemies? You mean that guy down there at the, at, the, at the body shop that was supposed to have my car fixed and all set up and just ready to go? You mean to tell me that one who's been delaying my car for three and four days who's just saying all these terrible things about me. You mean to tell me you want me to love him? As I have loved you. You can't be serious. Yeah, and if he curses you, speak well of him. 
If he hates you, do good to him. If he uses you, pray for him. See, that's the doer of the word. He does exactly that. When someone does something wrong to you or speaks evil of you, the first thing you do is say, this is my opportunity to practice love. It'll be like getting your basketball out and practicing foul shots. I can react selfishly or I can react in love. Whichever one I yield myself to will begin to dominate me. And the more I yield to love, the more it will take control of my life. The less I yield to love, the more I live to yield to selfishness. Selfishness will actually gain such control over my life, you won't like yourself. You know what happens? Bitterness will rise up inside your heart. It will spring up inside you, the root of bitterness. The root. Everybody say root. You can be rooted in love. You can be rooted in bitterness. And there are no automatic deliverances for this sort of thing, my brothers and sisters. It is a type of development. See, I think sometimes, you know, the devil is dumb. We know that. But he's got a little bit of wisdom because Jesus said he was a wise old fox. And he knows how that spirit works. Why do you think he comes immediately for the word's sake that comes to your life? The moment you said, I said this morning, you made a decision to practice unconditional love, agape love, and you'd have an opportunity before this day was out to walk out of that love. How many of you had the opportunity today? I guarantee you, when you start walking in this love, you're going to get attacked. And the first thing that's going to happen is want to get you out of that love to make you feel condemned like as though you missed it. The thing to do is just pick up the ball and shoot again. See, you're practicing. We are in practice. Doctors practice medicine. Believers practice love. Basketball players practice foul shots. We practice love. See, I'm practicing it till I perfect it. You mean to tell me when someone just came and just just done the most horrifying thing to me and just spoke so bad about me and I'm just standing there and I just feel so terrible that I want to respond and retaliate and say something bad back or, or I want to gossip or something like that? You mean I'm supposed to stand there and keep my mouth shut? Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak and slow to wrath. You want to practice something? Practice keeping your mouth shut. I, I'm not kidding either. I'm telling you the truth. Practice that. I mean, if you'll practice trying to keep this here thing shut, you'll find out just how hard it is. Fast your tongue for about a day. See, when you talk this kind of thing, we're getting into the nitty-gritty of the walk of, of, of love and faith. Believers don't want to hear this. A lot of them don't want to hear this kind of teaching because it gets them where they live. Steps on their toes, so to speak. But, beloved, I don't care. Let them. Jesus heals toes. He can heal mine. He's told me, I tell you what, there's a lot of things, you know, we got to learn by trial and error sometimes. And we learn it through experience. We should learn it through the Word, but we learn it through experience sometimes. And many times I find myself before God and say, Oh, Father, forgive me. I missed it again in love. But we got to do it and keep practicing until practice makes perfect. And then when you start practicing it in such a way that practice makes perfect, I'll show you what happened. First John chapter 4. First John. These are facts about love. These should entice you to get into God's love, learn it. We should have a challenge, a contest. See, the world, they have their running races. The Olympics will be coming up pretty soon. Well, we're going to have our... We're running the race of faith, aren't we? That we should have a challenge. We should challenge one another to walk in love. Well, the Bible says that we are to encourage one another in love, to edify one another in love, to get people to motivate people to walk in love. Well, in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 16, we have known and believed the love of God. Do you believe in love? Do you believe the divine love of God is more powerful than force? you believe the divine love of God is more powerful than argument? Do you believe it's more powerful than that? Than that force of hatred? I believe that. Selfishness, I believe that. It's more powerful than that force. See, the believer has to believe in love. I have to believe that love is greater than selfishness, greater than disease, greater than argument, greater than any nation. I have to believe in love. Love went to the cross. Love is so strong it raised Jesus from the dead. It redeemed mankind. 
It was the greatest working of the power of God who is love. There is no power, there's no power greater than love. When you hook up together with love and learn how to walk in that love, you're walking in the realm of God. And then he goes on to say, God is love and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Here we are studying all these books of the Old Testament and not realizing we're supposed to be majoring in love. I mean to tell you. You, I keep saying this. You go back when Joshua was told, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein. There was only a few books. The believer today has how many books? 66 books. And they try to master each and every one of them, but they forget about the major forces of redemption and of the recreated human spirit. Love is to be majored in every believer's life. Every single believer's life. And if you'll start believing in love and start dwelling in love, you'll dwell with God. And see, the devil knows that. Do you want to know if you dwell in selflessness who you'll dwell with? Self. And it's lonely there. But if you dwell in love, you'll dwell in God and God will dwell in you. Herein is our love made perfect. Love can be made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as He is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love, love can be perfected. Once again, cast us out all fear. Do you know what happens to a heart where all fear is cast out? When a heart is emptied of fear, the heart is full of faith. When your heart is emptied of fear, see those are reciprocal forces, faith and fear. When it's emptied of fear, you're full of faith. When it's full of fear, it's emptied of faith. Why do you think over 300 and some odd times, the Bible teaches us, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not, for I'm with thee. Fear not what man can do to you. Fear not, I'm your refuge and strength. Fear not, I will uphold thee. Fear not, throughout the Bible. Because you see, man's heart in the fall was taught to fear. But perfect love will cast out all this fear. That's another fact about love. If we'll develop love, fear will be gone. When, fear is, when love is perfected, fear will be gone. When fears are all gone, you've got perfect faith, strong faith. One more thing, if we can close it with 2 Corinthians chapter 4, chapter 5 rather. These are just some thoughts and facts about love. And it's only something to give you an incentive. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, an incentive. In verse 9, Paul's talking about, and this is very important. Every time I read it, it pierces my heart. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent we may be accepted of Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it's good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men but are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences, for we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you an occasion to glory on our behalf that you may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance but not in, and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, or the love of Christ has gained absolute mastery or control over our lives. Love so dominated the Apostle Paul, he said that the people thought he was beside himself. When people would ridicule, criticize him, and do evil things to him, he says he loved them. When they stoned him, he went back into the, the same city and preached Christ unto them again. When they ridiculed, criticized, beat him, whipped him, I mean, the guy that put him in jail, who was responsible to watch him in jail, the Philippian jailer, he led to Jesus, told him how to get saved. He said, Be ye followers of me, even as I am of Christ, and dwell in this love, walk in this love. Seek not your own, but seek every other man's goods. See, it's a destruction of selfishness in our own lives, and it's a yielding to the sway of love. And then love will gain the control over your life because, in verse 14, finish it, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all are dead. We're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. That's selfishness. But unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, Though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth knowing Him no more. In other words, we see every man in Christ. Look at the next verse. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. See, we should not know one another after the flesh. 
We shouldn't see one another after the flesh. You shouldn't be looking and playing on my faults and failures. If you're looking at my faults and failures, I guarantee you, brother, you're going to find them. And you're going to see me after the flesh, and you're not going to see me in love, and you're going to criticize me and ridicule me, and when you get done doing it, you're going to have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for that. Same thing in your own home. It's easy to see the faults and failures of your loved ones that are in the family because when you see one another day by day, you know their shortcomings, you know their faults, their failures, and you see them, you know, where other people don't see them. And if you only see them after the flesh and don't see them in the spirit as we're told to, you're going to be walking after the flesh. And when you walk after the flesh and see men after the flesh, you're not walking and living in the, in the realm of love. No matter what the condition might be. We're all called to walk in love. And it is not something that anyone else can do for you. It's not a decision someone can make for you. It is the quality decision that you make or that I make as an individual to walk in this kind of love. Though the world may turn away from it, though the body of Christ turn away from it, we as individuals are commanded by God to walk in His love. Nothing short of walking in Him. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.